chapter 1 in your Bible. Now, if you've been around Christ Baptist for a while, sitting under Dr. Coral's exposition of Scripture, your Bible should be opening naturally to uh, the book of Matthew. Uh, so Matthew's the first book in the New Testament, second major division in your Bible. Mark is the second book in the New Testament, if you're unfamiliar with where it is. So just let your Bible open naturally, fall open uh, to the book of Matthew, and then go one, uh, uh, one book further, chapter 1. And I do want you... If you have a Bible with you this uh, morning to help me to preach God's Word by opening your copy. Uh, if you came in today and don't have a copy of the Bible, I think there's some in the racks in front of you there. I invite you to grab one of those. And if you're watching online at home, hope you can find a copy of the Bible. Uh, as I said, I think the first time uh, that... Uh, I was here. I, I don't have anything to say to you that has the ability to change your life, to transform it, to change my life outside of what's in this book right here. And so uh, I would, would love for you to help me uh, preach and teach it this morning and us study it together by opening your Bible, Mark chapter 1. I'm going to read God's word over you, uh, beginning in verse 35 uh, of this chapter, Mark chapter 1, verse 35. Mark, of course, is the human author, but he's writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and that means this is God's word for us. So let's uh, hear and see what he says to us uh, this morning. Mark chapter 1. Beginning with verse 35. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he, talking about Jesus, Jesus departed and he went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. And Simon, that's Peter, Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And they found him. And said to him, everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also. For that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. I learned a new word not too long ago, probably a word that uh, many of you are familiar with. How many of you have ever heard the word genericide? Not genocide, but genericide. Anybody? There's a few of you that are familiar. I wasn't familiar with that word. Even if you don't know the word, I promise you, you're familiar with the concept. Genericide is what happens when a name brand of a particular product begins to be used widely in the industry, even to refer to other brands of the same product. So let me give you some examples. Probably the most common one when I was growing up was the name Coke. 
Coke is the name of a particular brand of the product of a soft drink. But you know, if you went to a restaurant when I was growing up and you said, I'd like to have a Coke, what was the next question the waiter or waitress would ask? Which kind? And so you had to specify that you wanted a Dr. Pepper or a Sprite or a Fanta Orange, why? Because all of those soft drinks were referred to as Cokes. Uh, so the term Coke fell victim of genericide. It came to be used generically to refer to other brands. Now, some other examples that you would be familiar with is the term Band-Aid, the term Jacuzzi. Maybe one of the most common is the word Kleenex. Most of us refer to all tissues as Kleenex, even if they say Angel Soft or Puffs on the outside of the box. That is an example of genericide, when a, a brand name begins to be used generically to refer to other brands uh, of the same product. Now, genericide can have actually uh, important financial uh, ramifications for a particular company and its brand name, its product name that starts to be used generically to refer to others. By law, a company can actually use its, lose its trademark rights to a particular product if and when that happens. Now, most of us probably don't think too much about that happening in the business and the commerce world. But let me say to you this morning that the same thing can happen with some of the words and terms that are important to us. And I want, to I want you to think with me specifically this morning about the term mission. We talk about the lot in our churches, don't we? Talk about the Great Commission. We talk about being on mission for the Lord Jesus Christ, as we should. Many churches have mission statements. It's part of our vocabulary and an important part. But I would submit to you this morning that over the years, the term mission in the church is dangerously close. Listen to me, come in here real close. Dangerously close to falling victim of genericide. It's a term that has now applied broadly in a lot of what we do in our Christian lives and in the Christian life. Many of you can remember the day when the term missionary was used specifically for someone who went overseas uh, in a vocational full-time capacity to tell other people about Christ. And the term missions refers to the Christian and the church's involvement in making that happen, in sending out missionaries. But in recent years, and you know this, in recent years, the term missions has 
come to be used more generically to refer to just about everything that we do as Christians and in the local church. Someone said about missions one time, if everything is missions, then nothing is mission. And that's true. That's the danger of the generic side of the term missionary and the term mission. It can come to the place when we use it so broadly that it means nothing. In recent years, the term mission has come to be applied to just about everything that we do in local churches and in the Christian life, whether it be helping the poor, teaching a Sunday school class, uh, fighting, championing for justice in a particular area. All of those things and more often are referred to as us being on mission for the Lord Jesus Christ. And what I, what I want you to see in God's word this morning is I want you to see how easy it is for that to happen and us to begin us begin to see everything we do as this mission that Jesus left us on the planet to do. And in so doing, in the generic side of the term mission, actually lose the meaning of what we're supposed to be doing. And so I want to talk to you, listen to me, I want to talk to you as individual believers in Jesus Christ and to us as a church, to this local congregation, because the same challenge is before us. And here's what it is. We are going to have to learn to say no to some good ministry opportunities in order to stay focused on the missional life that Jesus has left us on the planet for. Let me say it again. You as an individual, me as an individual, us as a church, as congregation, are going to have to learn to say no to some good ministry opportunities if we're going to stay focused on doing the thing that we've been left on the planet to do. So how's this going to happen? How... How do we avoid missional genericide in our lives and in our ministry as a church? Well, I think in this passage of scripture, we're able to see three elements here that are, are helpful in getting us to think about that and listen to me, in avoiding it. So here's what I want you to listen for. I want to show you first of all, and it's just a reminder, a commission that we have been given, that our Lord has given to us. And as I said, this is just low-hanging fruit. It's just a, a reminder for a congregation like this that is very familiar with the mission, with the great commission. I want you to see a reminder of that in this passage of Scripture. And then in addition to that mission or that commission, if you will, I want to show you some challenges that we face 
in staying focused on that mission, on our reason for being on the planet, that we'll have to overcome in order, in order to not let this mission fall victim to genericide. And then I want to finish by showing you the communion that we're going to have to have in order to face and overcome those challenges. So the commission, just a reminder, the challenge and the challenges we face, and then the communion that it's going to take in order to enable us to be able to do that. So that's kind of our roadmap. Now, in order to show you this, I'm gonna do something that's a little bit different probably than what you're used to. I actually want to work backwards through this passage of scripture. That may be strange because I know that what you're accustomed to and what I'm accustomed to doing is just taking a passage of scripture and going in sequential order verse by verse. So, for those of you that are expository legalists in the room, of which I consider myself to be one, this is going to be a little bit different because it's maybe not going to be verse by verse, but it's going to be verse in reverse. All right? So, we're still going to be going verse by verse. We're just going to start at the back. And I hope by the time we're through, it will become apparent to you why it's helpful in this particular passage for us to do that. All right? So let's start. Let's start with the commission that we have. And I want you to see this by looking at verses 38 and 39 in this passage of Scripture. All right? In those two verses, uh, one in each of those verses, the same English word or a form of the same English word is used there. It's the word translated preach. Now, in the language of the New Testament, there are about three words that are all translated by this same word, English word, preach. Now, it's a word that that means, and many of you are familiar with this, it simply means to herald. A herald would come announcing good news or to proclaim. And the word can actually be used in a formal sense and more of an informal sense. And this is really important, okay? In a formal sense, it's, referred, it's used to refer to people doing what I'm doing this morning. In a formal sense of those who preach publicly in a context like this called preachers. Certainly that's applicable here. Jesus was uh, a, a preacher in that sense, as were his disciples. John the Baptist who preceded him was. So a pastor in a local church would be a preacher in a, in a formal sense. There are some of you in this congregation who preach in formal senses. But here's what I want you to understand. This word to proclaim or to herald is not just used in a formal way, in a formal activity in Mark's gospel. It's also used in an informal way. And what I mean by that is that preaching that takes place not in, a, in, a, in an organized public gathering like this, but that which is done by individual believers in Jesus Christ, not just in places like this, but out there, in the job place, on the playground, 
the athletic locker room, in the business world, on the street corner, wherever. It refers to those who know the good news, going and proclaiming it, heralding it to other people. And Mark uses this term translated preach here in this passage of scripture in that way. In the very next paragraph after this passage we're studying this morning, the word is going to be used. Hello, choir. I owe you an apology. I've been here twice before today and it wasn't until after the last time that I realized to my discredit that y'all stayed up here while the preacher's preaching. And I, I love that, but I failed to acknowledge that by turning around and talking to you every now and then. As a pastor, in my pastorates, I always tried to make it a habit to do that. So, I'm glad you're up here. You got my back. All right. And I'll try. Uh, I'll try to make sure that you're included uh, in uh, this study uh, of this passage of Scripture this morning. Right out of the gate, in Jesus' ministry, his public ministry, we see both of these uses. We see it here referring to what he did in the public sense. As I said in the next paragraph, he's going to heal a man of leprosy. And guess what that leper is going to do? He's going to go out and herald the good news about Jesus. Proclaim it. In just a few chapters, there's a familiar story to many of you when Jesus cast multiple de demons out of that man from Gadara, commonly known as the Gadarene demoniac. You remember that story? And guess what that man is going to do after he gets delivered from all those demons? He's going to go preach. <laughs> he is going to go and proclaim in a heralding sense the good news about Jesus Christ. So when we come to this passage right here and we see Jesus speak these words right here that we see uh, in Mark chapter 1 and particularly in verse 38 when he says, let's go to the next towns that I may preach, proclaim there also. That's why I came out. Verse 39, he went throughout all Galilee preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. Both of the uses are at play. Both are at play in Jesus' ministry and the ministry of his apostles. They, they preached in a formal sense like this. Most of you listening this morning haven't been called to do that. You haven't been called to do that. But every one of you, if you name the name of Christ, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, have been called to do that in the second sense, in the informal sense, to live out your life heralding and proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. Right? You're on the same page? You understand that? That is your purpose in life. It is my purpose in life. You didn't know you were going to come to church this morning and discover the meaning of life, did you? Well, here it is. Here's your purpose. If you've been wandering around wondering, why am I on the planet? What's my purpose in life? Well, if you're a follower of Christ, I'm going to solve that dilemma for you this morning. This is it. You have been commissioned to spend your life 
heralding the good news of Jesus Christ. In fact, I can say to you without reservation, without doubt, without apology, that's why you're on the planet. That's why you're on the planet. It doesn't matter how you put food on your table. Some of your engineers, some of your lawyers, some of your seminary professors, me, some of your teachers, some of your athletes, some of your students, some of your stay-at-home moms. Regardless of how you put food on your table, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, this is why Jesus, when he ascended back to heaven, he didn't go ahead and take you with him. Take me with it. He left you here for this purpose. That's the commission you've been given. Christ Baptist, let me say to you, this is why you're on the planet. I don't care what else you bring to the table, what all the positive characteristic of this congregation have been. This is why I know this, not because I've been a part of this congregation, but because I know my Bible. I know what the Bible says here. And the Bible says this is why you as a people have been left on the planet to herald and proclaim the name of Jesus. Now again, I know that's just a reminder to most of us in the room this morning. It's a reminder in this passage of scripture. And it's a pointed reminder because notice our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ identifies this as the reason it says there in verse 39 why he came out. In other words, this was God's purpose for him during his ministry on earth leading up to the time that he would go to the cross and die there for our sins. We understand that to be his ultimate mission, his ultimate purpose, but practically speaking, what he was supposed to be doing in the days leading up to that, he identifies preaching, heralding, proclaiming as the reason he was on the planet. That's why I can say to you this morning, this is our commission. We know we're waiting for Jesus to come back. We look forward to that. We embrace the hope that we have in him, the hope of heaven. But it's important that we understand this season of time, we're on the earth leading up to that. Jesus states it emphatically here when he says, let's go to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. That's why I'm on the planet. That's why I left heaven, came to earth. And by the way, if I could just press pause for a moment, knowing that in a congregation this side, there are some of you that are sitting here today, maybe some of you that are watching online, that this whole idea of gospel, not only the idea of proclaiming and heralding, but what we're heralding and proclaiming is new. And I want to bring these two together for a moment and say to you, we want you to understand what Jesus is saying here, what he's talking about. The gospel, we could describe it in many, many ways is the story of how God left heaven one day and came to earth in the person of Jesus Christ to live a perfect life, which by the way is something you can't do and something I can't do, something none of us can't do. But let me also tell you, it is something that God requires to get into heaven. Did you know that? 
There's not anything or anybody that is going to step across the, tre- the threshold of heaven that's not perfect. The Bible teaches us this. Now, if you're honest this morning and that's news to you, or you've never heard anybody say that before, you're probably thinking, uh-oh. You might be thinking like I would be, I'm in a mess because I'm not going to make it. And you know what? That's exactly right. That's what each and every one of us ought to realize is there's nothing we can do. There's no way we can earn or deserve the privilege of stepping across the threshold of heaven. The only people that are going to be able to do that are those that are perfect. But you see, God knew that. He knew you couldn't do it. He knew I couldn't do it. So you know what he did? He left heaven one day and he came to earth in the person of Jesus Christ to do for you and to do for me what we cannot do for ourselves. And that is live a perfect holy life that meets his standard for getting into heaven. He did that for you. He did that for me. Jesus came and he did that. He lived that life. But there's more to this gospel story. And that is he took that perfect life and he took it to the cross and he died there in your place and in my place, in your stead and in my stead. And he incurred the wrath of God against that which keeps us from being perfect. And that's our sin. And he died there for us. He took the perfect life which we couldn't live. And then he took it to the cross and he died there a death. He lived a life we can't live. And then he died a death we should have died. Each and every one of us should be the ones incurring the wrath of God against sin. But Jesus, Jesus took his perfect life and he took it to the cross and he took your place. And he took my place. You remember a minute ago I referred to this as good news? That's good news, isn't it? (laughs) That's good news that he lived a life you can't live. He died a death you should have died. Took your place. He incurred God's wrath against our sin. And he did that for you. He did that for me. And if you're here today and you've never heard that good news... We're proclaiming that. We're heralding that to you today. Not just me, but me on behalf of all of these people that make up this great church. We're proclaiming and heralding that to you. And we want today be the day that you say yes to that. That you acknowledge your sin and your need for a Savior. And you acknowledge that Jesus is the one that came to do that. Be that and do that. And our prayer is that before you turn this program off or before you walk out of this building, you would bow your heart and you would turn your attention to the Lord and you would acknowledge that to him and say, today, I'm trusting you for that. Trusting you, the life that you live that I can't live trusting you in the death that you died that I should have died and I am trusting you as my savior and my lord my master that's our prayer for you that's our appeal to you we we pray that you would do that today 
And we want you to know that we're proclaiming that to you because that's why Jesus left us on the planet. That's why he left us here. To tell everybody about that. To proclaim it. Christ Baptist, this is why you exist. That is the commission that you've been given. Now, let's put it in context. Why did Jesus have to say this so, so early in his ministry? You know, if you look across the page, back over in Mark chapter 1, at verses 14 and 15, it pretty much tells us that this is what Jesus started doing in his public ministry. Verse 14, after John, talking about John the Baptist, was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. That's the way he started his public ministry. He knew why he was on the planet. And that's the way he started his ministry. But why, why this early in his ministry did he have to make that statement in the presence of his disciples? Surely they already knew this. Surely they understood this. They had been with him for a while now. Why? Well, I think the context answers that question. I think the reason is that Jesus knew he would face some challenges to staying focused on that mission. Just like we face challenges to stay focused on. You see, this, th these verses come right on the heels of a, a narrative that really goes back and begins back up there in, in chapter 1 earlier in verse 21 when Jesus comes to Capernaum. And immediately, Mark says, on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And watch this now. They were astonished at his teaching. And he, because he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribe. They sensed a weightiness, a gravitas to how he spoke and what he spoke about that they weren't used to hearing. And then it says in verse 23, and immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? So immediately demonic forces began to attack him. And look at what it says. Jesus, in verse 25, rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, What is this? A new teaching with authority. You know what they concluded? That guy's not from around here. <laughs> and they were right. They sensed it in his teaching and they saw it demonstrated in his power over demonic forces. And folks started to conclude and they started to tweet. And they started to post on Facebook and Instagram messages and said, man, we've never heard any guy talk like this guy. We've never seen anybody do. And word began to spread. The Bible tells us that immediately... Um, uh, he, he, he left uh, church that day, if you will, synagogue worship. And uh, he went home uh, in verse 29, actually went to Peter's uh, house. And there uh, he found Peter's mother-in-law. She was ill with a fever, a debilitating fever. 
And they told him about her, and you know what he did? He healed her. So just think about it, a very short period of time. Jesus is taught with power and authority that people weren't used to hearing. They sensed something otherworldly was going on. And then they watched him cast out a demon from this guy. They watched him demonstrate otherworldly power. And then he goes home, and he performs another miracle. He heals Peter's mother-in-law and raises her up. And you know how this is. Word began to spread, right? And then the rest of chapter 1 basically tells us, look at verse 32, evening at sundown, they brought to him all who, all who were sick and oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases, and he cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew who he was. All right. So you see what's happening. Word is beginning to spread. And when word begins to spread about somebody like this, crowds begin to gather, right? And so the miracle line forms. Sick people, demon-possessed people, people with cancer, people with physical maladies. And apparently late into the night, Jesus is healing those people. And he's casting out demons. That's what happens the day before. Now put that together with this. We see the commission that we have. We're reminded about this. Now let me show you the challenges that Jesus faced and the challenges that you face and that I face. You face them as individual believers and you face them as a church, as a congregation. And I think they all are represented in this one declaration his disciples make they wake up the next morning and they can't find jesus anywhere there's people still standing in line crowds gathering and so the bible says in verse 36 simon and those who were with him search for him that word search is only used uh, uh, one time in the new testament it's a strong word some of you are hunters and, and, and this is what it means like a hunter would search or track uh, it actually has a prefix on the beginning of it in the language of the new testament that means down in other words to track down they tracked him down like an animal. This was an intentional, aggressive pursuit. They searched for him and they found him and they said to him, and I want you to hear these words. Look at your Bible there. Everyone is looking for you. Now church, listen to me. I want to say to you that I think those, those words, those five words, I think, everyone is looking for you. It's a mouthful. And they represent the challenges to your personal ministry in proclaiming and heralding the gospel, being a witness for the Lord, as well as your mission as a church. I think those words represent some challenges and some decisions that you're going to have to make. I'm going to have to make on a daily basis. You're going to have to make as a church about your ministry. Let me show you what those challenges are. First of all, you're going to have to choose your calling over the crowd. You see the word everyone? What are they talking about? They're talking about the residual effect of his ministry the day before. Not everybody got up to the front of the miracle line. There were still people, people with cancer. 
people who were epileptics, people who, who were crippled, still in the line, waiting to get up to the front. And there were more because word had continued to spread. Everyone is looking for you. And I want to submit to you this morning that Jesus' statement in verse 38, let's go to the next town that I may preach, proclaim, herald thereof, because that's why I came out, is a demonstration of our Lord choosing his calling over the crowd. Now, you know that we as a people, as a people that are part of the American culture, people who are known as Southern Baptist. We're all about the crowd, aren't we? The more the merrier, the bigger the better. We want everybody to come and be involved in everything that we do. And this lure is always looming. It is always there. Do what is about the crowd. Well, you know what? These disciples come and says, hey, there's a crowd gathered, Jesus. In fact, in the language of the New Testament, you know, the, the, probably more literally translated, it's everyone is looking for you. And why are you out here? Why wouldn't you be back there where they are? There's another challenge. Not only we have to choose our calling over the crowd, but we have to choose the important over the urgent. Everyone is looking for you. You know what they're describing there? They're describing an immediate crisis, an immediate urgent situation. They're looking for you and they're gathering as a crowd. Now, let me just be honest with you and tell you, you know, somebody comes and tells Jim Shattuck this as a preacher, as, a, as, a, as one who, you know, does this ministry. And somebody says, hey, Shack, there's a crowd gathering. You know what I'm thinking? Well, bless God. Gather that group up and let me preach to them. Why? Because the crowd is so, the more the merrier, the bigger the barrier, better. What do we have to do to get, have the most number of people? We measure our effectiveness and success by those kind of numbers. But now plug Jesus' statement in. Let's go to the next town because that is why I came out. And I, when I read that, I have to ask myself, did he really just say that? Did he really just do that? Did Jesus really just turn his back on people who had cancer? People who had physical maladies? People, did Jesus really just say, let's turn and walk away from that? And as hard as it is for some of us to get our arms around, the answer to that question is yes, he did. Why? Well, he tells us we don't have to guess at it. He said, let's go to the next towns and I may preach there also for that is why I came out. Listen to me, there will always be urgent needs that we can see. Things that are demanding our attention right then and there. Calling upon us to change our, our schedules, to change our church programming because those are urgent needs, we see them. See them and they're right there. And let me just say to you, Christ Baptist, some of the toughest decisions that you have to make as a church and as individuals in life and ministry will not be the choices between good and bad. It will be the choices between good and best. And here's one of those places where Jesus 
He makes the decision not to succumb to the urgent, but to say, let's stay focused on the important. Remember the genericide thing? This is where the challenges come. When it's easy for us to just to begin thinking, well, it's all missions, right? When we're really not telling anybody about Jesus, we're really not proclaiming the gospel. We may be doing good things. We may be helping people, but we're really not being true to this mission right here. And in order to stay true to it, it's going to mean that we make choices about choosing the important for the urgent. So choosing your call over the crowd, choosing your, the urgent over the important. I think there's a third one represented here. And that is choosing our purpose over our popularity. Look back at those words right there. Everyone is looking for you. That's a mouthful right there. And let me tell you something, it's a mouthful of temptation. Because most of us, if we're honest, will know the lure of that. When think, things that people think that there's something special about us, something we can do that nobody else can do, some need we can meet in their life that nobody else can, can meet, and the focus is on us. And it's real easy, isn't it? It's real easy for us to begin to believe that. <laughs> hey, there is something special about me. There is something special about our church. It sets us apart, that makes us special. And that's what everyone wants. And you know what Jesus demonstrates here? He demonstrates the importance of always choosing our purpose for being on the planet over our popularity. Everyone is looking for you. You see what I mean about challenges? That, that, that pull against us staying focused on the mission that we're on. Not everything, not everything thrust us into the activity of opening our mouths and telling people about Jesus, telling people about the hope of heaven, telling them about the sacrifice that he made, the life that he lived, the death that he died. Life that was raised from the dead to put God's life back inside of us. There's a lot of good stuff that we can be doing. You understand? Let me just start, make it personal. Being a seminary professor doesn't give me a pass on spending my life proclaiming the gospel in an informal sense, not just a formal sense. Choir, you help us worship every week. But you know, your calling to be worship leaders as a choir doesn't give you a pass on the mission that you've been left on, on the planet to carry out. Pastors, preachers, we're the same way. Whatever your ministry is in the church, whatever, however you help out, it's real easy to begin to think, that's what I'm called to do, right? And it's real easy to begin to think, oh, that's the way I'm on mission for the Lord. But you can do those things in your entire life, never tell anybody about Jesus. You can live a great moral life. I know many Christians that think that's the way they're on mission for the life that I live. Listen, people can die and go to hell wondering what's different about your life. But until somebody shares the gospel with them, 
they won't ever have their sins forgiven and their lives transformed. The genericide of the mission that we have, it becomes so broadly used that it loses its meaning and each of us defaults to our particular quote-unquote calling, thinking that calling is the way we're on mission. It's the way we tell people about Jesus. And it's easy for this mission to lose its meaning. Understand these challenges. You'll face as an individual believers, I face, and we as congregations will face. We're gonna have to always be looking to make sure we choose our purpose over our popularity. We choose the important over the urgent. We choose our calling over the crowd. And those are all tough. Those are tough choices to make. A lot more we could say about that, but I know we, we, we need to move on. So the commission that we've been given, just a reminder, but I want you to see these challenges, challenges Jesus was facing to say, hey, spend your life healing these people that have these sicknesses and, and can't walk and have arms broken or are not able to see. They, they need help and they're hurting. So spend your life doing that. It's in that context, beloved, that Jesus made that statement. Let's go to the next town so I can proclaim and herald there because that's the reason I'm on the planet. You see what I mean? About challenges that would suck us into the genericide of the mission that we're on. Jesus faced it, we, we face it. And I hope you'll keep it, I, I hope you'll memorize. I challenge you to memorize those words. Everyone is looking for you. And let them be a reminder. Everyone, the lure of the crowd is looking. There are always urgent situations, urgent needs and crisis at hand. You can spend your entire life in a reactionary mode, just reacting to one situation and then reacting to another as opposed to being intentional. Everyone is looking for you. If you're not careful, pride can creep in. For you as an individual believer, for me, for local congregations, for churches, to think, to think, oh, the crowd wants us but to always be choosing our purpose over our popularity and what may be the next installment in our popularity. Memorize the war. Everyone is looking for you and let them be a reminder of these challenges. So we've seen the commission we have, the challenges we face. Now let me give you the communion that we'll need. And it's here, I said at the beginning, I hope it will become evident as we move through this backwards, why it's good in this passage for us to do that, to move through it backwards. And here's the reason right here. Because you see, if just a few moments ago when we started this, I had started at verse 35. Rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed, he went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. If we started there, I'm going to tell you, it would be real easy for me to just to spend time talking about the importance of prayer, and it is important. Maybe some ways we could pray or challenges to pray. We could spend a lot of time just talking about prayer. 
But if we back into these verses, all of a sudden we can see why verse 35 was critical in Jesus' ministry. Because you see, I'm just going to make a confession to you. And that confession is, those challenges are hard for me. It's hard for me to choose the urgent over the, uh, the important over the urgent. It's, it's hard for me to choose my purpose over my popularity. It's hard for me uh, to choose my calling over the crowd. Those things are luring. And, and I come to this passage and when I start at the back and I hear Jesus' statement, his declaration, let's go to the next town so I can preach there also because that is why I'm on the planet. I look at that. And I think, if I'm honest, it'd be hard for me to do that. A crowd is a lure to me. My popularity is a lure to me. The urgent is a temptation for me to always be reacting. And it brings in my life, and I know yours as well, the question, how am I going to be able to stay focused? With all of the stuff that's going to be trying to pull me away, how am I going to stay focused? How am I going to be able to face those challenges and meet them? How will I be able to always choose the important over the urgent? How will I be able to, to choose my calling over the crowd? How will I be able to choose my purpose over my popularity? I think that's why... Verse 35 is in the Bible in this passage of scripture, in this context. Jesus knew that. He knew when he went to bed the night before the challenge he was going to face the next morning, the crowds that were going to be gathered, how his popularity was on the rise already and everybody was looking for him. He knew that's what he was going to face. And so Mark tells us in verse 34, 5, rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and he went out to a desolate place and there he prayed. You know why? Because he knew that the only way he would be able to meet those challenges and always choose well, know when to stay, know when to walk away, know when to react, and when not to react. How he would overcome the lures to his popularity. The only way he would be able to do it is in a special kind of communion with the Father. And Christ Baptist, let me say to you as individual members and as a church, it's the only way you'll be able to do it. He'd do. When verse 35 is a big part of what you do. So, the, 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 the commission we have is to live our lives proclaiming this good news. The challenges we'll face will be these challenges that we just talked about. And the only thing that will give us the supernatural power to meet those challenges and choose well in order to stay focused will be a communion with our Father, like is described here in verse 35 of Mark chapter 1. Let me just characterize it quickly. Jesus' communion with the Father was characterized by an unwavering commitment. 
Most of you know this. I mean, if I had a day in ministry, and I've had some busy days in ministry, if I had a day in ministry like Jesus had, you know, from verse 19 through the end of the chapter in Mark chapter 1, I'm thinking, well, man, I've done a lot for the Lord today. I, I've, uh, you know, I've, I've done some good things. I need a mental health day. I need to take Monday off. I need to... I need to sleep a little bit later. And listen, please don't hear me say that there's not a place and a need for all of those things at time. But you understand what I'm saying. Just to feel like I'm spending myself on urgent ministries and on good ministries, helping people. It's real easy for sacrificial prayer to get lost in the mix and not characterize my life. Jesus was unwavering in his commitment to this kind of prayer. And by the way, Mark describes the sacrifice, verse 35, rising very early in the morning. Very early in the morning is actually a technical reference to the last watch of the night, which have been three to six, what we know of as three to six a.m., the description while it was still dark pushes the time to the front end of that. So you understand we're not talking about five or six in the morning. We're talking more like three or four in the morning. And most of us, when we think about that, especially after a long, hard day at work or a long, hard day of ministry, we'll look at that and say, uh, uh, I don't think so. I'll sleep a little bit later. And I don't think the reason, listen to me, church, that this passage is in the Bible to say to us that the early morning is the only time to pray or that everybody to have, their, have to have their quiet time in the morning. I don't think that's the lesson here. I think the lesson in this context is there is a kind of prayer that is necessary for us to be able to stay focused and resist the temptations that pull us away from that. And it is a sacrificial kind of prey. And I want you to notice Jesus had an unwavering commitment to this kind of prey. You don't add this kind of praying to your life and it not cost you something. Something not be given up. For Jesus, he was giving up a little sleep, right? That may be you. Christ to pray will mean getting up a little bit early. For some of you, it'll mean staying up a little bit later. For others of you, it'll mean carving out some particular time during the day. The thing I want you to simply see is there is a kind of communion happening here that Jesus knew would be the secret, the key to him being able to resist the challenges and stay focused on the mission that he was on. Not only was he unwavering in it, but notice his, his praying here was characterized by being um, unhurried. <laughs> I think this was the issue about getting up early in the last watch of the night. This was a prayer time that didn't have a period on it. You know, most of my prayer times have periods on them. You know what I mean? I mean, say, okay, my prayer time is, say, 3 to 5 in the morning, so 3 o'clock. Okay, Lord, I'm about to press play. When I do, you start talking, I'll start listening. But at 5.30, I got to get ready and go to work. Or I got to go to class. I got a class to teach. So most of my prayer times have a period on them. 
a predetermined period. I got to end at this time. I think one of the things Jesus demonstrates here is prayer that was unhurried. I want to ask you this morning, is that part of your prayer repertoire? Do you have some times in your walk with the Lord in which you get before him and say, Lord, I'm here till you're done. Prayer that doesn't have a period is unhurried. He was unwavering. This was unhurried. Thirdly, it was undistracted. This may be the toughest one for us in our day. Notice, it says, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. This word translated desolate, it's only used five times in three different contexts in Mark's gospel. And every single time it's referring to some place that was insulated, that was away from the crowds, that was away from the hustle and bustle. And that's what Jesus did here. He found an insulated place, an undistracted place. You know, as I think about my own life, as I talk to Christians and listens, as I talk to pastors, you know, one of the biggest thing I hear about prayer is, or the reason we don't pray anymore, because we're so busy. But there's another thing I hear. People say, because I'm so busy, so what I do is I pray as I'm doing other things. I pray while I'm jogging. I pray while I'm on my exercise block. I pray while I'm cooking, praying while we're doing other things, multitasking. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with praying while you're doing other things. I think what is wrong is limiting our prayer life to that because we're so busy and we're so distracted. The only time we pray is when we're doing other things. Listen, the man who could commune with the Lord while he was doing other things more than any of us will ever be able to do. That's the one right here that is choosing to go out and find a desolate, undistracted, insulated place to commune with the Father. Because he knew there was something in that that held the secret of him being able to to meet the challenges and resist them and stay focused on the mission that he was on. So let me challenge you today from a very practical standpoint. Maybe this is the practical thing you take home with. How, how, how do I make sure there's a, an element of my prayer life that is I'm unwavering in and that is unhurried and is undistracted? Because, listen to me, not so we can check off a box and say, oh, we had our prayer time. But because we know there is something in that kind of communion with the Father that gives us the supernatural strength to resist the challenges and stay focused on our mission. Give us boldness. Give us boldness to open our mouths and speak the gospel, to do what doesn't come natural for most of us. And live out this mission. One of my favorite Bible expositors, somebody that shaped my own understanding of biblical exposition and practice of it over the years, was asked one time, how do you prioritize that? How do you make sure you protect time for study and preparation to preach? And he said this. He said, I exercise the ministry of planned neglect. In other words, I plan to neglect some things in order to prioritize the better things. 
Beloved, I think that's true, not just for Bible exposition, but for the mission of the church and the mission of every individual believer. We're going to have to make sure, by God's grace, we exercise the ministry of plan neglect, that we say no to some good things, good things that may be pulling us away from our mission and staying focused. Say no to some good things in order to stay focused on being a missional church, a great commission church, and on missional living, being a great commission Christian. So that's the call of the word of God to our lives this morning. And I pray that today as a believer in Christ and as members of Christ Baptist, you would resolve in your heart today to say, by God's grace, I'm gonna be obedient to that like we were challenged to do earlier in the service. I wanna ask you to bow your heads with me, please. Our musicians are gonna come and lead us in a response song. For some of us this morning, it might be helpful for us to drive a stake in our resolve. And you're accustomed to doing this as a congregation of maybe coming and kneeling here, making an altar out of these steps and just praying a prayer of resolve to the Lord. To something in this text, something you've heard this morning that God's word challenges you to. Or maybe something else that the spirit of God brought to your mind as you were listening to God's word proclaimed this morning. As we begin to sing in a moment, I invite you to leave your seat and uh, come down and, and just take a moment to kneel here. Some of your pastors are going to be here at the front. If you'd like for someone to pray with you about that, they are here for you. Others of you may have heard this gospel for the first time this morning. You may be here and say, you know, you described me a minute ago. I've never trusted Jesus to live a life I can't live. Never trusted him in his death kind of death that I couldn't, I should have died, but he died for me. Maybe that's what your heart is telling you this morning. While we sing in a moment, I invite you to get up from your seat, come and tell one of these pastors that so they can help you in the next step of your journey. If you're watching online today, there should be a number or a QR code that you can uh, uh, go on to and follow so somebody can connect with you and help you take the next steps in your spiritual journey. God, give us grace for that. We pray in this moment, let this be a moment. And Lord, I know I pray for all of us when I say make us a people that by your grace are more involved in this kind of communion with you, knowing that it holds the secrets to us to be able to stay focused and stay on mission. Give us grace for that. Call us to yourself, Lord. We pray.